How many of you had a great Thanksgiving? How many had to bust out the stretchy pants at some point? If you didn't, you're not doing it right. But today we flip the page in the calendar and we enter into a season in the church year entitled Advent. And Advent is different than Christmas. Christmas is where we celebrate the birth of Messiah, but but Advent is where we enter back into the story. We enter back into the story of of waiting for his coming. We we, we sympathize with Israel and their hundreds of years of waiting and sitting on prophecies that the Messiah would one day come. And we remember during Advent that we aren't all that different, that we too are a, a people in waiting. See, I thought Advent was just the same as Christmas until a few years ago when I preached through the lectionary passages uh, uh, in this season. And what I found out was that most of those passages are, are pointing to not back to the manger, but to the second coming. And it was in that moment I realized that Advent wants to teach us something. Advent wants us to enter back into that story to remember that we too are people in tension. Karl Barth may have summarized it best when he wrote, what other time or season can or will there be for the church than that of Advent? And we're always in Advent, as it were. The time between. We live in between this declaration that Christ has died and Christ has risen. And we hold out the hope that Christ will come again, that Christ will come again. And so during Advent, we look into the manger and we take our proverbial lamps, those lamps of our life, and we dip them down into that manger and we light them with his light. It's sort of like the story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25 about 10 young women who were waiting for a bridegroom and they were struggling to keep their lamps lit. They were struggling to keep the light on. I think many of us live in that same way. We, we know that tension, don't we? My wife, Kelly, and I, we we bought a house that has a propane fire pit in the backyard. And as we were looking at this house, I was so excited for having times of roasting s'mores with the kids around the fire. And so one of the first nights we were in that house, we went out to the fire pit and, and I bent down to turn it on and I turned it to on and pushed ignite and nothing happened. And so I put on my Mr. Fix-It hat, which I don't wear a lot. And I went out the next day and I tried to get it working and it couldn't get it working. I promised my daughter for her birthday, we would roast s'mores around that fire. Her birthday came and we went out there and I pushed that igniter switch again and it just didn't work. So I called my friend Ken, who's a part of our outside maintenance crew to come over and fix this broken fire pit for me. And on Monday, he came over, he had his air compressor ready to clean it out and repair what was broken in it. He walked into our house, into our backyard and bent down and I bent down with him, you know. See where this is going? And he turned it to on and I'm thinking to myself, I've tried this a thousand times, Ken. Get the compressor, let's fix this bad boy. He turned it to on, hit the igniter and you know what happened? That thing fired right up. And I won dad of the year award in that moment, right? 
I said, Ken, what did you do? And he said, I, I read the instructions. <laughs> you got to hold the button in while you push ignite. And I think a lot of us as followers of Jesus, and that's not who you are this morning, we're really glad that you're here. We try our best to, to be light. We try to have light and to walk in light. But I think some of us just need to go back and reread the instructions. And you know what you're going to find as you read the instructions? Something that's completely cultural anathema in our day and time. Here's what you're going to find. That the light that you long for and the light that you want in your life starts somewhere outside of yourself. And we live in a cultural moment that wants to look deeper and deeper and deeper within. And we gather here today as followers of the way of Jesus under the declaration that the deepest things we long for aren't found within, but they're found without. They're found as we look up, not as we look in. But I think Stanley Kubrick, the filmmaker, said it best. He talked about our cultural moment and said, the very meaninglessness of life forces man to create his own meaning. However vast the darkness, we must supply our own light. And if that's what you think this morning, I have great news for you. Kubrick was wrong. And so are you. That the invitation of Advent is not that light comes from within, but that we get to look back at the incarnation and we get to dip the lamps of our life into that manger and we get to remember that he, the one true God, dwells within and he is lighting us up. So if you have your Bible, open with me to John chapter one. It's where we're gonna be camping out over the next few weeks as we explore what it looks like to live in the way that Jesus taught us as exhibited in the manger. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. It's page 903 in that Bible. And I would encourage you to have a Bible out so you can follow along. This is a, a dense text that we're going to be looking at today. Each of the four gospels begins in a little bit of a different way. Matthew begins with a genealogy connecting Jesus back to Abraham. Uh, Mark is sort of the ADD gospel. He just jumps right into it, introduces John the baptizer, who's preparing a way for Jesus. Luke is a biographer. He starts with the birth narratives and the, the, the story of Elizabeth finding out she's pregnant and Mary finding out she's pregnant. Eventually, he, he tells the genealogy of Jesus and ties Jesus all the way back to Adam. But John's gospel begins in a way like no other. You haven't probably seen a Crid's Christmas nativity play that used John chapter one as its content. John zooms way out and he goes cosmic on us as he begins to tell the story of Christmas from a different angle. And listen to what he says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, John wants you to read in the beginning and think to yourself, 
where have I heard that before? Is it ringing any bells? Yeah, we've heard this story before. In the beginning, uh, we've heard this in, well, the very first page of the scriptures, haven't we? Genesis chapter 1. In fact, that passage reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Yeah, God speaks and the universe happens. Ex nihilo just appears. His voice and things appear. Now, the author of Genesis is not writing to make some scientific point. Actually, he's writing to make a theological point to say when God speaks a word, there's action that's associated with it. His word can fill a void. His word can light up the darkness, which should be great news for us today if we walk in these rooms and we have a void in our life and we have darkness in our life, that that void and that darkness is just one word from God away from being filled. Somebody say amen. And that's what John wants to point back to and do a little bit of what we might call revisionist history. Because he says, let's reimagine that creation story. Let's take a, a fresh look at it. We know revisionist history. Some of you may have heard revisionist history around your Thanksgiving table. Back in my day, we used to walk uphill both ways in snow to school. If you didn't hear revisionist history this Thanksgiving, you may have told revisionist history this Thanksgiving. But that's exactly what John's doing. He's creating a resonant echo between Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1. He's telling us that when this baby was born in the manger, the world reborn with him. And he's pointing us back to that first creation story in order to make a point. And here's what he does. He uses this term. In the beginning was the, say it with me, church, word. In the Greek, it's the word logos. Will you say that with me? Logos. And it was a dense word, logos. And we should ask ourselves, John, who's good friends with Jesus, who had conversations with Jesus along the road when they were walking, who cares for Jesus's mother after his ascension, one of Jesus's best friends on earth. Why in the world would John use a title and a term other than just Jesus? Because what we find is that this word that John is talking about in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh. That this word in John chapter one is none other than Jesus himself. So why does John use this word logos? I'm so glad you asked that. Because to the Greeks, the word logos meant reason. It meant reason. And for the Greek and the Stoic philosophers, logos was the impersonal, rational principle that governed the entire universe. This was the only God, lowercase g, that the Stoics knew. But, but it didn't just stop there with the Greeks. See, see, the Hebrews had this understanding of the word of God, and they would talk about the word of God as the wisdom of God. You can read about that in Proverbs chapter 8, 
Wisdom personified. Knowing where to go, knowing what to do, knowing the right road to take. But it wasn't just that. You see, we already read it. In the very beginning, the word of God speaks and things come into being. Yeah, as the Apostle Paul would write, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And so what John and Paul are both doing is they're saying that on the other side of that finger of God that reaches out to Adam, creating life and speaking life into dry bones is none other than Jesus himself. He's high and lifted up. And all of this in this one term, logos, Yet John picked a term that everybody in his audience would have resonated with. They would have said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Reason, wisdom, creator, those are the things that we long for most in our life. It's interesting, if Jesus is the logos, he really is the reason for the season. But John doesn't stop there. He tells us more about this Jesus. Here's what he says. He says that he was with God in the beginning, that there was never a time when Jesus was not. He's eternal. He's eternal. In fact, the Nicene Creed, one of the earliest church creeds and one that we still affirm today, says that he, Jesus, was begotten, not made. But secondly, you may have caught it, John says that Jesus was with God that he's relational from the very beginning. There's hints and winks and nods towards a triune understanding of what God is like. And then finally, John says that he, the word Lagos was God, that he is supreme, that he stands above it all. He is not a lowercase g God. He is the capital G God who stands above all creation, undiluted divinity and unadulterated humanity. This is who Jesus is. Okay, so let's just pause for a moment. And in the craziness of everything that the season of Christmas and Advent stirs up in us, John wants us to pause and say, will you let this Jesus shine on you? This Jesus who's reason, this Jesus who's wisdom, this Jesus who's the creator, who's the eternal, relational, supreme God. And I don't know where you're at with just this Jesus today. Probably all across this room, there's people in different places. But if you haven't surrendered your life to this light, there's a peace in your soul, I'm guessing, that's longing. And what Jesus says to you is, oh, I long for you to come and dip your lamp in the manger to remember why you were created. So because here's where John continues. He continues by saying, in him, in this Jesus was life. 
Like the kind of life, not just that allows you to exist, but the kind of life that you drink deeply of and go, that's why we're alive. And that life was the, say it with me, church, light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Nine times in this gospel, John will point to this metaphor of darkness and light. He introduces the theme here in his overture, but he's going to re-look at it throughout the gospel. In fact, you'll see that Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark. You'll see that Judas leaves the Last Supper, and John intentionally, like a poet, tells us he's going out into the dark. But it's not just a theme that John used. It was a theme that even the prophet Isaiah would use when he said, and Matthew quoted him, the people who are dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. I read a story a few weeks ago in my news app about a little town, the very tip, northern tip of Alaska called Barrow, Alaska. And in Barrow, Alaska, the sun set on November 18th, and it will not come up again until January 23rd, 2020. 67 days without light. And my kids are going stir crazy after three days of rain. Anybody with me, right? 67 days. And here's what, here's what Isaiah and here's what Matthew and here's what John would say that before the birth incarnation of Jesus, the entire world spiritually was walking in that kind of darkness. That's why during Advent, we sing songs like, oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer thy spirits of thy Advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. We celebrate the fact that Jesus, when he came, said, I am the light of the world. And it's in this Advent season, we gather around the scriptures and we gather around each other and we gather back around this story that's far more than a story. And what we remember is that the way of life shines through the living word whose name is Jesus. And I don't know where you're at this morning. And I don't know what kind of darkness you're experiencing. And I don't know what feels dead and what feels dry and what feels like it's in the gloomy shadows of night. I only know that on that night, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem, light was born with him. And that the same God who spoke creation into existence is speaking recreation into existence also. That that light, friends, still shines. And so here's the question. The question in front of us is, are we going to try to light our own lamps? Or will we in humility go back to that manger 2,000 years ago and remember that in Jesus, light was born. And so here's the way that changes us. Here's the way, let me give you three ways that Advent begins to change us. Number one, here's what it does. Uh, Because of the birth of Christ, light shines in us 
in us. Uh, We might say that it illuminates us. But not in some Gnostic, ethereal, esoteric, Illuminati kind of way. Uh, No, 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 no. The Apostle Paul will write about the way that light illuminates us. And here's what he says. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Does this sound familiar? To both of you it does. Wonderful. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. That same voice that spoke creation into existence is speaking into your life and heart right now. And when God illuminates someone, every single time that happens, he points us one place and one place only. He points us to Jesus. The reason, the wisdom, the creator, the eternal, the relational, the supreme Jesus. Is that light shining in your heart? See, here's the second thing, though. Light doesn't just shine in our heart and illuminate us with some warm fuzzies. When light shines in our heart, it also exposes some of our own darkness. It exposes some of the things that we'd like to keep hidden. Uh, Fleming Rutledge, the great theologian, said that Advent has two faces, light and dark. And if we don't look at the dark, we will never fully experience the light. I think what she's saying is that the light hurts before it heals. Uh, We might respond by saying something like, ouch, that helps. When God points out something in our life that he wants to refine. And after all, this is what Jesus came to do. In John chapter 3, recording the words of Jesus, here's what Jesus says, and this is the judgment. You want to know what Jesus' judgment looks like? Uh, Just hold on. He's going to tell you. The light has come into the world. His coming is the judgment. And people who loved the darkness rather than, and people have loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Well, because their works were evil. We, we, we love darkness because sometimes darkness is our friend. And when God starts to poke at us and by his spirit illuminate us, sometimes that can be a really painful process. Is anybody with me? A few years ago, We got rid of most of the furniture in our living room except one couch. We put a little basketball hoop on one side of our living room and just lived into the reality that we had two young boys that were stir-crazy inside in the wintertime. And so we had a lot of fun in that living room, and eventually we decided we should probably grow up, and we got furniture for that living room. And we were moving the couch out of that living room, and we lifted up the the cushions on that couch, and here's what we found. Everything we own, that's what we found. I I mean, there's craft supplies there. There's a sock. You're missing a sock? It's under my couch cushions, right? Judge us if you want, right? (laughs) But I think this is the way it can feel sometimes when God shines a light in some of the darker places of our heart. Or we go, oh, I'd rather not let people see that. I'd rather not deal with that. It may be a sharp word spoken at the Thanksgiving table, followed by a response, well, they just always push my buttons. 
as our way of saying, I like the dark. Maybe it's an anger that we just simply won't let go of, revenge that we keep playing over and over in our minds, a justified hatred of somebody else. And I think what Jesus wants to say to you this morning is, will you pull up the cushions a little bit and let me shine the light in there? Because there might be some junk that you rightfully want to get rid of. Yeah, the light hurts before it heals. The invitation is always repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But, but not only that, light hurts before it heals, and it does. It illuminates us, and it exposes us, but then it heals us. Heals us. And I know that the holiday season can be really difficult for a lot of people. And maybe there's an empty chair at the Thanksgiving table, or around Christmas Eve, there's somebody that you're longing would be there that isn't. I'm with you. I'm with you. Six years ago today, I got the phone call that my dear mother had passed away. I was getting ready to preach the first sermon in our Advent series. So I'm with you. I need the light to shine. Not only to illuminate and expose, but also to heal some places of my soul that are still longing And as he does that, as he does that, please hear me, Jesus never illuminates and exposes and heals people just for you to say, oh, isn't the light great? Isn't it wonderful? Let's just enjoy it. Let's let it, let's, let's let it keep us warm. No, 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 no. He always exposes, illuminates, heals. The light always shines in us so that according to Jesus, that you would be the light of the world to let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That the light shines in us and the light shines through us In an ancient world, to be a city on a hill would have been the only thing illuminated for miles around. It would have stood out like crazy. And please catch this. Jesus' vision for his church is that we would be a community of light that shines to the world around us. This is his mission. He's inviting you and I not just to be worshipers of him. Certainly that's part of it but also to be carriers of him. Jesus is probably not going to show up physically at your workplace tomorrow morning. He's probably not going to march into your Christmas dinner. But I want to assure you, he fully plans on showing up through you and you and you that we would be people who, as Jesus says, as you sent me talking to his father into the world, so I have sent them, my church, into the world also. That we, in the same way that Jesus came, that we would bring with us when we show up, that we would bring great love and good deeds. You want to know the mission of the church in two phrases, great love, good deeds. And after all, when we do this, we're just simply picking up the mantle that's been handed to us by our forefathers. Did you know that the early followers of Jesus were known in the ancient Roman world for going and caring for people who were sick and dying in the streets, bringing them into their own home for fear of their own life? 
but they didn't fear death, so they cared for the sick. They took them into their homes and cared for them, and the world around started to go, there's something different. There's something different. Last month, I read about a church in Indiana that raised $7.8 million to pay off medical debt for people in their community. 6,000 families who are under the burden of medical debt now free. That's first century light right there. Last week, hundreds of you brought food and put it, left it behind your car and I took it all home. No, I'm just kidding. You brought food, you brought food to care for people in our church family who don't have enough during this Christmas season. That's light. Every week, hundreds of you show up and you care for our kids and our students and our young adults and you pour the light and life of Jesus into their life. That's light. When you send a note, when you send a text message, when you bake cookies, when you offer to watch somebody's kids so that they can go out and enjoy a few moments of peace and quiet together, praise be to God. When you do that, you are light. And God intends to light up a community of faith so that we can carry that light into the world and tell people, let me help you find your way home. Let me help you find freedom from addiction. Let me help you learn the way of Jesus and let go of your anger and let go of your hate and live in the way of love. Let, let, me, let, me, let me help you find your way home. Friends, that's why we're here, not just to host services, but to be light. And, and please hear me on this. Please hear me on this. Being light is not the same thing as being right. You can be right, which is really important. It's better than being wrong. But you can be light, right, without being light. The way you deliver the message is part of the message that we deliver. So maybe this Christmas season, maybe you say great love and good deeds. I'm going to look for ways to live those out. And when I have the opportunity, I'm going to invite people around me to come and to be a part of our Christmas Eve services. Maybe they're just, maybe the light catches the wick of their heart then. Or to be a part of our choir concerts that are going to be happening. What might it look like for you to help others find their way home. Please, please hear me, church. You don't have to be perfect to be bright. Here's the way that this passage ends. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, some of your translations read has not comprehended it or has not understood it. And indeed the Greek word that they're translating overcome or understand has both meanings. And I think that John has both meanings in mind. Darkness doesn't understand light. Um, hate cannot understand love. <laughs> hate, thinks lo hate thinks hate is the only way to get things done. If you forgive, you're going to get run over. Revenge is the only way to survive in this world. Yeah, yeah. darkness doesn't get light. <laughs> But more than that, more than that, lean in, lean in. More than that, what John is saying is that regardless of how dark the world looks, 
when you turn on the news and you watch and you go, what is this world coming to? Followers of Jesus need to have the resolute standing in this world to declare. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how gloomy the night is. I don't care how dense the shadows are. I know that there is a light that shines in the midst of the darkness and the darkness will never, ever, ever put it out. And so we, have pe- we are people in this Advent season. There's a light that shines in us and it illuminates and it exposes and it heals. And there's a light that shines through us in great love and good deeds. And there's a light that shines over us and his name is Jesus. The, the early followers of Jesus, they had a hymn that they sang. It's one of the earliest hymns that we've been able to identify from the early church. The hymn is entitled Fos Hilaron. You could translate it, O gladsome light, or O joyous light. And the story goes that those early followers of Jesus, just decades after his death and resurrection and ascension, knew exactly where his empty tomb lay. And there was a little lantern that was burning in that tomb. And as they'd begin their nightly worship services, the leaders of the church would walk into that empty tomb and they would light their lamps with his light. And then they would carry their lamps out into the community and each light would be lit with the light that burned in that empty tomb. It was their reminder, we are people who carry not our own light, his light into his world. And they would sing this hymn, O gracious light, pure brightness of the ever living father in heaven. O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed. Now, as we come to the setting of the sun, our eyes behold the vesper light. We sing your praise, O God, father, son, and Holy spirit. You are worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices. O son of God, O giver of life to be glorified in all the world. And during Advent, we remind ourselves that we are people in waiting. But we dip our lamps back, not to the empty tomb just yet, but to the manger. And we remember that when Jesus was born, the world reborn with him. Light has And as we gather over these next few weeks to celebrate Advent, my hope and prayer is that our services together would stir in us like a lantern festival that we might be lit up so that we could go into the world declaring that Jesus is indeed the light. Yeah, and it's this same Jesus who birthed creation, the same Jesus who brings transformation in your life, and in mine. Here's my question. Are you open to it today? Are you open to it today? Let's pray. Let's pray. If you would, would you just put your things away? And I'd invite you just in a posture of receiving to have your hands up, your palms to the sky, and let's just ask that the Spirit of God would do the work that only He can do. So, oh, great light, king of heaven, 
love, peace, joy, we come to you, God Most High, and ask, would you shine in us? Would you shine through us? Would you continue to shine over us? We posture our lives under your light. Shine on us, God Most High, we pray. In his name, and all of his people said, amen and amen.